of what God's doing. Too long has uh, the church really uh, moved forward uh, by the work of uh, our wives and by the work of women. Because men can't hear the battle cry. Men can hear the battle cry that calls them to work and give of themselves, uh, give of their abilities and their lives to take care of their families. And that's vital, that God wants us to do that. And men can hear a battle cry for other things maybe they get passionate about throughout life. But part of the struggle is men don't hear the battle cry from the Lord. We don't hear the battle cry from God that is calling us to battle. And we long for it. We long for that purpose. We long for that, that, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but for me, I always like being part of the story. I don't know. When somebody gets rescued, I want to be there. When, when something, you know, dramatic happens, I want to be part of a solution to that. I think somewhere in us growing up, we all want to be the hero of the story, don't we? And the exciting thing for me is that that God has in His perfect ordained plan that role for men. He has that role for us. He has the role for us as we follow Christ, as we go forward. And I think sometimes we think, we look on the page of Scripture and we see maybe some of the heroes of the faith and some of the guys maybe that we look up to and we look at them and think, wow, you know, that's, that's really cool. And we don't understand that exactly... What scripture says, you know, when, when, when Paul talks about Elijah and he says, Elijah, just a man like you and me who prayed and the skies froze up and no rain fell, prayed again and the rain came. Elijah is a, is a hero of scripture, is a man who heard the battle cry from God. Now, when we look at the life of Paul, we're going to take a look at the life of Paul throughout this weekend. And one of the, I just want you to recognize that in his life. Does Paul want to be part of the big story? Does he want to be the hero? Absolutely. How do I know? Because he's going around killing Christians. Because he had his mind focused that this is what the hero was about. That there was a group of people turning the, the religion that he loved upside down. And he's going to wipe it out. So he hears a battle cry. Just the wrong guy's battle cry. Right? The key for you and I is to tune our ears to what it is that God is calling us to. Because God has a battle cry for you. Something for you to respond in. Something in which you're going to find a deeper sense of fulfillment than you've ever felt before. As you respond. And you're willing to be the man God's calling you to be. And you're really willing to look like the man God's calling you to look like. And you're, you're willing to take the steps God's calling you to take. And really, that's what this section of Scripture is all about. So in Acts chapter 9, <clears throat> we'll take a look at the first 19 verses tonight. That's the plan. We'll see. Maybe we won't get that far. But begins in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
But rise, enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Now the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight. He neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise, go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in, lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Well, the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. To carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and laying hands on me, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight, and he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man that made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose? to bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving Jesus was the Christ. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to Your Word this evening, God, I pray, Lord, I know all of us had uh, some kind of day today. And maybe we're tired and wore out, but God, I just pray that we will attune our ears to hear your battle cry. That we'll be able to hear, sense the deeper purpose for which you are calling us, for which you are drawing us. Because there is something. Jesus paid it all, but He paid it all for a purpose. There was a reason. There is a plan laid out before us. God, help us see. Help us submit. Help us surrender. Help us experience, God, what it looks like to have unstoppable faith. Lord, we pray that You would be glorified in this place as we lift this time to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, so we're going to take a look at the conversion of Saul. Now we all know, right? Saul's like uh, the godfather. Well, he's more like the Godfather's hitman. All right? So if the chief priests are, are kind of the guys calling the, the shots, Saul's the guy doing their dirty work. He's the guy killing the Christians, arresting him. We already know, if, you, if, if you've read Acts up through to chapter 9, you've seen the death of Stephen, 
right? First martyr, and, and the Bible says as they cast their votes, what they were going to do with him, they laid their jackets down at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, I just want you to recognize this is not like 40 years after Christ. We're not talking about a long time has passed. The church is birthed in Acts chapter 2. The church is growing in Acts chapter 3 and 4, filled with the Holy Spirit and given boldness to overcome the persecution that they're facing. Persecution begins to disperse the church. As the, as the church is dispersed, we see Stephen and, and uh, six other men chosen to be full of the Holy Spirit to come alongside the disciples and help them take care of widows, right? That's how they're supposed to start. Pretty soon you see Stephen preaching because that's the way it works. Once you start to hear the battle cry of God and you get yourself into service, it's not very long before God's going to open up opportunity for you to share, to begin to share your faith, to share what God's done in your life. Everybody has something that God has done and impressed upon them and that God is calling them toward. And so as Stephen responds to that, what happens? Well, every, same thing that happens every time. You want to stand up for Christ? What's the next step? Persecution. And ultimately, it's going to cost Stephen his life. And there's Saul. I would say when they were bringing Jesus out before the Sanhedrin and they were shouting, crucify him, I see no reason to say Saul wasn't there then either. We're all dealing with the same period of time. Same period of time, same group of guys. All of a sudden, this hitman shows up on the scene. It says in chapter 9, verse 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. So he's ready. He wants to tear them apart. Breathing threats and murder. Literally, it's breathing out threat and slaughter. Slaughter. He wants this abolished, wiped out, destroyed, taken away. This is the heart of Saul. He goes to him. He goes and asks for letters to the synagogues of Damascus. It's interesting because Damascus, I don't want to get too much on a side note, but let me tell you this. Abraham was promised the land everywhere the sole of his foot touched. Genesis chapter 13. Yeah, I know that promise went to other guys too, but it starts with Abraham. The promise of the land. The promised land. You realize that in Genesis chapter 14, one of the places Abraham's feet touched was Damascus. He goes there to deliver Lot from the battle of the five kings. I'm sure you guys remember the story. If that's true, all of that, all of that would be part of the promised land. So we go all the way to the north portion of what would perhaps have been considered the promised land. And here. Saul's saying, I'm going to go all the way to the tip. I'm going to go all the way to the top. Now, this is not Israel in his day, but nonetheless, it's full of Jews. In fact, we know that Nero killed 100,000 Jews in Damascus. That's a lot of dead Jews. So they're there. Saul's like, man, I'm going to go. I want to protect it. And he, he wants to see it abolished. He says, if I find any belonging to the way. When we talk about the way, I just want you guys to get marked in your minds. Jesus Christ came and said, come follow what? Come follow me, right? Where, where are we following him? A road of life, right? He said there are two roads, didn't he? He said, broad is a way of destruction. And there are a lot of people who find that one, right? 
But narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Two paths, two roads we can walk. Jesus is calling us to walk the road of life, isn't he? It's the same call he gave to the nation of Israel when they stood in the valley of decision. He said, I've given you today blessing and cursing, life and death. What did he tell the people to do? Choose life. What was he saying? Come follow me. Come follow me. Come follow me. I have a purpose and a plan, a place, an adventure in which your life fits, in which the things that you have plug in and are a part. So Saul says, if I find anybody of the way, men or women, I'm going to bring them back here. Now what's he going to bring them back there to do? Slap them? If you went all the way, 150 miles on foot, to go get bad guys, what are you bringing them back to do? Yeah, you're putting them down. You're putting them down. This is, a, this is the purpose for which he's going, breathing out threats and murder. But then in verse 3 it says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone all around him. Yes, I know. There's no mention there of a horse. But I still like to say God knocked him off his horse, right? The idea, here he is, he's coming. He's got all this this anger and hostility because he has heard a battle cry, but it's the wrong one. How many of you know that God loved him enough to intervene in his life? How many of you know God loved you enough to intervene in yours? Sometimes we look at Saul's life and we think, man, look what God did. Showing down a light from heaven, drove him to the ground, did all these things in his life. Man, I wish... I wish God would do that for me. I guarantee God's done that in your life. We all got our God story, man. If he hasn't, I hope he does it for you this weekend. I hope you hear his call right now as God says, man, I have a purpose and a plan for your life. There's something that I want you to understand and know. And so I will reveal it to you. That's how God came to Saul. That's how God comes to me. I open up His Word, and every time I open up His Word, the light of God shines into my life, and He speaks to me. He's right there. On most of our laps, somewhere in our home, maybe beside our bed, the light of God willing to shine into our life. It says, a light from heaven shone around Him, and Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, you're on the wrong track. Saul, you're hearing the wrong voice. Saul, you're going the wrong way. What's the next thing that we do? If we know we're going the wrong way, there's a Bible word for what to do. What is it? Repent, which means what? Change your direction, right? If you're going that way, repentance means you go that way. Stop, turn around. And go, follow who? Jesus. We want to follow the Lord. So here, the Lord is calling to him, Saul, where are you going? Why are you persecuting me? Now, you think Saul knows who he's talking to? Is he confused? A light from heaven shines down on him and a voice says, I'm pretty sure he knows what's going on. Right? I don't think he thinks it's a, a, there's an angel talking to him. Well, look what he says next. Fung on the ground, 
He said to him, Who are you, Lord? Who are you, my sovereign? Whatever is, whoever's talking to me right now is bigger than me, smarter than me, better than me. And he knew the one place he needed to be on the ground. We want to hear the battle cry that God has for us men. That's where the battle cry starts. We want to be unstoppable for the Lord and have unstoppable faith. That's where unstoppable faith begins. It begins by you stopping. Getting on your knees before your sovereign. Submitting in humility to Almighty God. Who are you, Lord? He's dropped to his knees. He's looking up into the heavens. And here's the response. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I'm Jesus. I am God the Son. I'm the one you've been persecuting. Now, he'd been killing other people. But the Bible tells us that we are the body of Christ, doesn't it? Doesn't the Word tell us that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are baptized into the body of Christ. We become His body. So, when we are persecuted, who's being persecuted? Yeah, has that stopped? Has the persecution of the body of Christ ended yet? Last I checked, this is we're still in some of the bloodiest times of martyrdom there are. We, just because we don't experience doesn't mean it's not happening. So Jesus is saying to Saul, hey man, what are you doing? You're persecuting me. You're persecuting me. Now the Bible doesn't tell us whether or not Saul could recognize him. The Bible doesn't tell us whether or not when, when Saul looked into the light, he, he could see a figure or not. It doesn't let us know. But what it does tell us, he definitely has an idea of who he's talking to. In Acts twenty-two, fourteen, this is what it says. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and hear the voice from his mouth. Acts twenty-two, fourteen. they're describing Paul now. And, and the call that Paul had on his life. Three places in Scripture, the conversion story of, of Paul is told. Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26. Feel free, get yourself some time and, and pour over those. Because if you want to get the full picture, you've got to look at all three, right? Sometimes different parts of the stories we tell about our lives come out when we're talking to different people. And so in those three instances, you can hear, but it says here, the God, the God of our fathers appointed you, Paul, to know his will and to see the righteous one. So back up in the beginning, if Saul, Saul certainly would have been aware of Jesus when Jesus was crucified. He wasn't born after that. He was being raised up by the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. So he may have even have been one of the number of Pharisees that confronted Christ during his life. And here on the way to Damascus, hearing the wrong battle cry, he's driven to his knees. He looks up into this bright light and he sees Jesus, the righteous one. He sees him. He knows him. And everything in Saul's life is going to change. 
And one of the most important things that we can experience, you and I, is the ability to see Jesus. Now maybe what you want is to be able to see that bright light just like Saul had. And you want to be able to look up and and see Jesus come down. But the reality is you and I wouldn't know the difference if we looked up between Jesus or any other angel, will we? You ever seen him before? I don't know what he looks like. I'm going to see him one day. You know where I see Jesus? I see Jesus clearly in the things he wrote me. What things did he write me? The Bible says that the Word of God is inspired. God breathed, laid out for you and I. When I come to the Word of God, I can see my Savior more clearly through His Word than I might be able to see Him physically. You know that when Jesus was talking, uh, He told a, a parable about the rich man and Lazarus. You guys know the story? The rich man has the lots, he dies, uh, Poor man, Lazarus, he don't have nothing all his life. He dies, goes to Abraham's bosom. The rich man goes to a place of torment. He looks over and he can see Abraham and Lazarus on the far side. And he says, oh man, send someone to my brothers and tell them. Give them a physical representation of the reality that this place exists. Remember what Abraham said? They have the word and the prophets. If they won't believe them, what's next? They won't believe even if someone was to rise from the dead. Men, one of the most documented events in all of human history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here we are in my time still arguing about whether or not it happened. It's not about evidence about what we can see. God's given us what we need. And He's put within us this this incredible desire and urge to be a part of this this incredible story. And we have it. But we're busy listening to the wrong battle cry, hearing the wrong voices, walking down the wrong roads, looking for something that we're never going to find in those places unless we see the light. Unless we hear Jesus' voice, unless we recognize and men, all of those things we have right here in this room right now, sitting on your lap in front of you. They're on all of our phones. Whatever electronic device you have. I have 19,000 books in my iPad. Again, no shortage of of. Bibles, I've got every possible Bible you could ever imagine. Every study thing I could ever need, all sitting in my hand so that I can hear the voice of Jesus, so that I can see the light, so that I can recognize the call that God's given me in my life. You see, when it came to Saul, boom, on his knees, humbly before God, hearing what it is that Jesus is calling him to do. And I'm just asking you guys to let God do the same thing today. God wants you to have that experience with that word in your hand. He wants you to be unstoppable just like Paul was. It's not something special about Paul that you don't have. Same spirit in him is in you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have all the power you need already living inside of you. Already a part of you. So that we can be uh, encouraged and, and called out to do the things that, 
that God wants us to do. Listen, in Acts 26.14, this same concept, telling the story again to King Agrippa. It says, And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Everybody know the goads? The goads go on the back of the, of the, the horse pulling the cart to keep the horses from kicking back. Or oxen from kicking back, whatever's pulling the cart. You kick back, there's a sharp stick back there. Anybody ever been kicking against the goads? Yeah, you get the feeling I want to move this direction, but I just don't want to. Anybody got a rebellious spirit? I'm the only one. I got a rebellious spirit, man. I want to fight against. I want to kick against. But I, I, I get tired of it. I get tired of the, the endless battle and the endless drama and the endless whatever you fill in the blank. And here he's saying to, to Saul, Saul, why do you keep kicking against the goats? Just stop. God is transcendent. Isaiah 55 says, his ways are not my ways. He's above me. He's transcendent beyond me. I want to comprehend Him. I need Him to show me Himself. I'm not going to find Him my way. I need Him. Has He given me something? Yes, He's given it to me in His Word. Yet we neglect it. He's given it to me in His Word that I can dive in, that I can know Him, that I can understand Him. Acts 22.10, speaking about this same uh, this same example, another story is Paul's laying out his testimony. He says, and I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said, rise and go to Damascus. And there I'll tell you what to do. Rise and go to Damascus. Rise and go to Damascus. Man, he, the purpose of his life at that moment was totally in God's hands. I think there's a moment in every man's life, in each of our lives, where God is calling us to make this decision where we will be on our knees before God and we will declare, God, I am your man. I'm yours. And then the next thing he tells us to do is what we need to do. And usually it's simple. Get up and go to Damascus. Come, follow me. Respond to what the Lord has told us. In verse 6, it says in Acts 9, 6, But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. So the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight. He neither ate nor drank. Saul rose from the ground. Here's what Linsky has to say. He said this, He is in a depressed and wretched condition. His fearful sin lay heavily upon him and the Lord permitted it to crush him for three days. A good deal was required to grind down the mighty Pharisee, the implacable foe of the gospel. Shut off from the world, blind, abstaining from food, and no one to help his soul's distress. His proud self-righteousness was conquered. And there remained only a sinner in the dust who ever after felt himself the chief of all sinners. 
In that moment when we bow down before the Lord and we say, God, I'm your man. You need to, for the first time, maybe see yourself as who you are. You got to see who you are. You've got to be unmade before you can be remade. Yeah. One day, I'm going to remodel my house. I do not have, I have three add-ons on my house and none of the floors match. You guys have a house like that? And one day, it's fine, you know, not a big deal, but one day, I just want them all to be the same. Not one inch above, not wavy. Now, I could come in there and work twice as hard to try to figure out how to keep everything there and make it work. Or I could do what? Rip that stuff out and just do it right. Now, sometimes in our lives, our lives are a a, a big jumbled mess of all our hurts, all our hang-ups, all our habits, all our issues, all our stuff all laid on us, and it it has made us who we are. And that's okay. We'll come right back to that. But we need a moment on our knees before God Almighty, unmade, broke. Who I am. Not who I want everybody to think I am. Who I am. Paul, arguably one of the greatest men ever in the history of the church, called himself the chief of sinners. Maybe he could still see the eyes of Stephen or even Jesus when he cast his vote for them to be put to death. Maybe. One thing's for certain. If you ever come face to face with the light of God, if you allow the light of God through His Word to shine into your life, I tell you what it's going to show you is that you are wretched. You ever heard that song? Amazing Grace? Yeah? We sing that song all the time, but do we really think we're a wretch? Do I really think, oh man, I'm, I'm wretched. We, we, we say these words, but, but do we have, have we seen ourselves in a light of Christ? Have you ever gone back and read through the Sermon on the Mount? Just put yourself next to it. Read the Sermon on the Mount, put yourself next to it. And if you say, yeah, you know, I match up pretty good to that, then we have another problem. Lying is a problem. And you might be have a worse case of blindness than Saul did. No? Because when we look at who Jesus is, and in his character, and we look at ourselves, we ought to see what Isaiah 55 says. He's higher than me. His ways are higher. He himself is greater. Man, I, I want to come to that place. And I think, when Saul's driven to his knees, he sees Jesus, the light shines in his life, and for three days, he's able to reflect on who he is. And after those three days, he knows, I need him. I need him more than I need anything else. 
I need Him more than whatever that thing is in your mind that's so shiny that you think you have to have. I need Him more than that house, the family, the, the wife, the girlfriend, the I don't know, you fill in the blank. I need Him more. Saul is recognizing I need Him more than all my fame, than all... all, all everybody knew His name, didn't they? They knew His name in Damascus 150 miles away. They didn't have cell phones. Nobody's calling Damascus and saying, man, this dude, Saul's crazy down here, killing Christians. And No, the word got there by people trucking it to Damascus and telling people. Yet they know, don't they? They know about him. They know what he's doing. They know what he's about. He's saying, man, I need Jesus more than all that fame. I need Jesus because I'm a wretch. I'm a wretch. I'm broke. I'm fond of saying that everybody's broken. We are the first church of the broken. Every single one of us broken, and it is God who is able to make us whole. Scripture says in Isaiah 53 that it's by His stripes we are healed, right? Literally, it it lays out for us, by His stripes I am made whole. It takes my brokenness. And He gives me wholeness. And I, and I love that. And I need that. And I want that. So what I want for you guys is the ability to see your reflection in Jesus Christ and to despair of our own wretchedness. And to recognize that, that what there is in Jesus is so much better than what is broken and messed up and tilted sideways in me that that all of a sudden I recognize that's what I need. That's the one thing. That's the one great pursuit. That's the only thing I don't have that I need in my life. I need Him. I need to lay hold of Him for all that I am. Because in that moment when that happens, you can be unmade and you will be a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has ordained before that we should walk in them. That's how that happens. That's how that occurs. And that's exactly what's happening in Saul's life. As he's down on the ground, he gets up, he can't see. He goes somewhere where he doesn't know where he's at. And he's just laying around. He's just thinking about everything in his life. And how everything in his life was in the wrong direction. And now all of a sudden, he thinks he knows where the right direction is. But what am I going to do? How am I going to do the right direction? I'm I can't see. I don't know how to do it. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to, how to plug these things in. And so he sits there coming face to face with himself and his need for Jesus. Man, if you haven't had that, you haven't even started yet. You haven't started. If you haven't been broken before him and, and seen the, the, the hand of God come down and make you whole. Because when you do, that's the only place you want to go. And I want more of Him. I want Him touching my life. I want Him moving in my life. I want Him directing my life. I want to spend time in His Word. I want to spend time knowing Him. I want to spend time seeking Him. And the Scripture tells us the more we seek Him, the more we find Him. The more we find Him, the more we want to seek Him. It's perpetual. And we say in our lives, well, I don't really want to do that. Then I'm going to try to tell you, you haven't had that moment. You're still covering up the wretchedness with pretty clothes. 
still cover up the wretchedness with the things we tell other people about we think. It's safe. Nobody can get in your head. Hear what you're thinking about right now. Nobody can get in your behind your eyes and see what you've been looking at. That's just you. I just know in my life, man, I'm a mess. I'm a murderer. I am uh, a liar, a cheater. Um, I don't know whatever word there is. I'm more than happy to hold up the banner like Paul. I'm chief. My sin was horrific. And when I stand before God, that's that, that, the, the stain of that sin, I want that all washed away. All of it. I want to protect none of it. I don't want to keep a little corner someplace that I can go dabble in every once in a while. I want it all gone. I want the light of Christ to wash all the dark out. Wash it away. Scripture says there in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. I love that. By the way, that's how we're supposed to answer God. Right? If God puts uh, something on your heart, a direction on your heart, some place to move, something to do, our answer is supposed to be, here I am, Lord. What do you want? Well, you guys remember the story of Eli and Samuel? Samuel keeps getting woke up in the middle of the night. He runs into Eli and says, Eli, why do you call my name? <clears throat> Eli says, I didn't call you. Go to bed. He goes back to bed, gets up, runs in. Why do you keep calling my name? Finally, Eli goes, look, next time you hear the voice, just say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. So the next time he heard the voice, he said, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And it's bad news for Eli. That's supposed to be our answer. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. So, so Ananias says, here I am. Now, sometimes when you say, here I am, the next thing you hear is not what you want to hear. Right? If you're Ananias, look what he says. The Lord said, rise, go to the street called Straight, the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus uh, named Saul. He is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. He knows you're coming. Uh, he's going to lay hands on him so that he can regain his sight. So he begins with, here I am, Lord. And he's told what to do. Go to a guy named Saul. And the funny thing is, the Lord says it to Ananias like, Ananias don't know who he is. Right? What's the next verse tell us? But Ananias, and anytime it starts with that word, it's usually not our brightest moment, right? But, uh, Lord. But Ananias answered, <clears throat> Hey, Lord, uh, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has authority here from chief priests to bind everyone who calls on your name. <clears throat> Lord, you're sending me. I'm one who calls on your name, by the way. You're sending me to a guy who's sent here to arrest everyone who's calling on your name. Just in case, Lord, you didn't know, that's who you're sending me to. Right? I love Ananias because he's going to go anyway, right? He says to the Lord, Lord, you sure? Are you sure this is good? Are you sure he's straight? Are you sure it's going to be okay? The Lord said, I love this phrase, go he is a chosen instrument of mine. He's a chosen instrument of mine. He's going to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Man, you go. He's mine. I chose him. Now, you know, when you guys stand before God Almighty, He's going to say the same thing about you, right? 
you're my chosen. You've read Ephesians chapter 1, haven't you? In Christ, I am chosen of God. Forgiven, redeemed. It's called the bracha. The bracha. Uh, Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. The praise of the blessings that we have in heavenly places. So if you're in Christ, you're chosen. And Jesus says how? He says right here, look. In, in John 15, talking to the disciples, Jesus said, You didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, it will be given to you. <clears throat> now Jesus is talking to the disciples. You guys have all read the Gospels, right? So who chose the disciples? Well, if we read the Gospels, it was Jesus, wasn't it? What did he do? He walked up to him and he said, what? Come follow me. Come follow me. Right? And then what did the disciples do? They go follow him. They go follow him. You have the call and the response. You have the call and the response. According to Ephesians chapter 1, when you are in Christ Jesus, everything you need is located in that place. In Christ Jesus, you are the elect. In Christ Jesus, you are the chosen. In Christ Jesus, your salvation is eternally secure. As long as you are in Christ Jesus. 169 times Paul's going to use that phrase. You think it's important? Yeah. Everything hinges on the idea of being in Christ Jesus. And so this is what he's saying. Hey, he's in me. He's in me. He's my chosen instrument. He's my chosen instrument. I've got a plan and a purpose for his life. Here's what we, we read in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. <clears throat> it says, when he, had set, when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. What is it that Paul's saying? Hey, God had a plan and a purpose on my life from the beginning. From the beginning. The call went out. I respond. And in Christ, I am elect. I am chosen. I am His. Jeremiah 1, the Lord says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations from the womb. Did God have a plan for Jeremiah? Yep. Does God have a plan for you? Does God have a purpose for you? Is there something that that God created you to be able to accomplish? Absolutely. It's everywhere in the Scripture. Let the light of Jesus Christ shine. Pour it into your heart. See it. 1 Peter 2.9 You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of the darkness into His marvelous light. Who's Peter talking to? Talking to us? To you and me. You are His chosen people. Man, we want to come. We are chosen His instrument to be used of God. What does it all say? It says not only do we belong to Him, not only are we set apart for Him, not only are we selected by Him, but ultimately we're under God's protection. We belong to God. 
Only thing enters into our life is that which God allows to enter into our life. Here's one of the things that God promises you. I will only let those things into your life that are for your good and my glory. You believe that to be true? Here's the struggle, guys. Here's the truth. Here's a real struggle. We're all okay with a God who is like us in our image, who thinks like I think and does what I think should be done. We all struggle with a God who's transcendent, holy, other, who's bigger, whose thoughts aren't my thoughts, whose ways aren't my ways. We have a hard time acknowledging that the God of the universe knows more than I do. And that if he promises to put things in my life for my good and his glory, I can trust him in that. Because Romans 8, 28 is still real. I don't know. I don't care if you like it or not. It says we know, not we hope, not we think. We know all things work together for to those who are the called according to his purpose. Yeah? God has a purpose and a plan. He makes that promise to us. We can hold on to it. So I just want you to put yourself in Paul. Paul, knocked to the ground, sees the, the, the filth of his life, the choices he's made, next to the brightness of Jesus Christ. Wow, I'm way off track. Now I'm blind. I don't know where I'm going. I'm laying around. God tells another guy, Ananias, I need you to go encourage him. I need you to go tell him that all the things he's seen, all the things he's feeling is real. Guys, this is why it's important that you're here now. Because if you look around, there's a brother here somewhere who can encourage you over what you're going through, what you're seeing, what you're feeling. That's why we gather together. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is a matter of some. And so much more as you see the day approaching. Don't do it. Stay connected to what God has for you. Because there's an encouragement right around the corner. So he's going to go to him. He's a chosen vessel. He's under God's protection. But he also said, I'm going to show him the things he's going to suffer for my name's sake. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? This is Paul speaking. I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, <coughs> with countless beatings, often near death. <coughs> Five times I received... At the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at the sea. On frequent journeys in danger of river. Danger from robber. Danger from my own people. Danger from the Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst. Often without food and in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the other churches. I'm going to show him all the things he's going to suffer for me. But don't you understand that when Paul weighs that suffering with what he has in Christ, that he says, I count all my stuff I ever had in this world refuse. You guys know what that is, right? Yeah. Anybody got dogs? Nobody's got dogs? Got dogs? Got dogs? Refuse is what you have to clean up in his yard. That's what a word means. We, we make it very nice in the Bible. The King James guys, they come to that word and they said, well, you can't say that in church. So we're going to call it refuse. 
We're going to call it trash. We're going to call it garbage. I just want you to understand. That's what he says. All of that is dung compared with the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus, which included all these things we just read. You think he found himself in a greater adventure than just regular life? You think he found himself in a, in a story that really fulfilled him and something that really encouraged him, that something compelled him to keep going, to move on and become the man God wants him to be? Guys, that's what God wants to do this weekend. It's what this weekend is for. It's what God wants to do in your hearts and lives. But it all starts with us getting our head right tonight. It all starts with us getting our heart right now. So that we can hear what we got coming in the morning. So we can hear what we got coming tomorrow night and Sunday morning. So we can hear what, what men of God have been praying about for months leading up to this. About what it is that God wants you to hear. But it all starts with our hearts and lives being right. Verse 17, Ananias departed, entered the house, laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which he... He, you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight. What's the first thing Ananias says? Hey, the same Jesus who knocked you down told me to come talk to you. Is that encouraging for him? I think it's encouraging for him. I think he's a little bit low, man. This is encouraging. Somebody's here telling me, <coughs> God, the same God who talked to me has talked to him. Not only that, he told me to, that you would regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he laid hands on him. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he rose and was baptized. And what did he do next? He ate. Why? Because all the turmoil that was going on is over now. Look, God doesn't want you to come face to face with who you are so that you stay who you were. God wants you to come face to face with who you are so that you yourself will acknowledge that's who I am. So that then you can leave it there. Put it away. The old man is crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Uh, That's gone. That's done. That's what Jesus wants to accomplish. It's what he wants to do in your lives. Come face to face with it. Leave it on the ground. Walk away from it. Be a new creation. Eat food. Be strengthened. And hang out with the disciples. That's what Paul does. What happened next? What's the next verse? Verse 20, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue. You see the word immediately, right? Yeah, that means immediately. It's a trip. Yeah, it's not as complicated as it might sound. Yeah, it means he got up, he ate, he's hanging out with the disciples, and the first time he gets a chance, he's at the synagogue. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Why? Here's the the thing, guys. Why? Because Jesus was the greatest treasure he ever found. And if Jesus is the greatest treasure you've ever found, you can't stop talking about him. You want to tell everybody. Yeah? If, if, if you're, if you're uh, <clears throat> whatever, your, 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 your favorite football team, you don't have a problem telling somebody your favorite football team, do you? Unless you maybe you're a Bills fan or something. Oh. Now, they weren't so bad this year. <coughs> or, or Dallas or... Hey, here's the truth. Here's the truth. All those things we're, we're okay with are the favorite bike we like to ride, right? I don't have a problem talking about my motorcycle. I'm happy to talk about the things I like to do, uh, uh, movies I like to see, the things that matter to me. I don't mind talking about them. 
right? If Jesus is your treasure, man, that's got to come out. It's got to come out. If he's not your treasure, you need to see the light. You need to see the light. You need the light of Christ to bathe you, to wash over you, to cleanse you, to prepare your heart to receive what God has for you this weekend because there's big things God has for you. He wants all you guys to be unstoppable. The one thing to mark Paul's life is it didn't matter how many times they beat him, how many times they hit him, how many times they knocked him down, he never stayed down. Yeah? He never stayed down. And I don't want you guys to ever stay down either. I want you to find the adventure that you long for. I want you to hear the battle cry that God is shouting from the heavens. I want you to answer the call. I want you to ride out into battle and be the men that God's calling you to be. I want you to experience what it is to be the hero of your story. Because you're the only one who can do it. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray. We're going to enter into a time of worship. Here's what I want you to do. we got a bunch of pastors, <clears throat> leaders from other churches here. So we're going to just do a little bit of worship. You guys feel free to bail whenever you're ready to bail. But we're going to do worship, and we'll have uh, Fritzy and, and uh, where you at? Dave and some of the guys come up here. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't see if Brian got here yet. <clears throat> just come on up front. And if you guys got something on your heart, something you know you need to lay down, something you got to put away, something... Uh, something that's going to hinder you from being able to hear what God's doing in your life, then then Mike and Dave and Fritz are down here, and uh, they're happy to pray with you. I'll be down here as well. And let's just worship and get our heart right, get our head right to receive what God has for us this weekend. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come before you. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We thank you, God, for what you want to do in our life. For how you want to do it. We trust, God, that you have a plan. That you have a purpose. You have a design. And we're excited to come this weekend. We're excited to see a transformed life like Saul, who was horrific and became amazing. And if, God, if you can do that to him, what can you do to us? What can you accomplish in my life? What can you accomplish in my brother's lives? If we'll simply bow the knee to you, God. That we'll simply watch ourselves, see ourselves bathed in your light, recognize our own darkness, and then bid it go away. Because I'm not going to be known by that darkness anymore. I'm going to be known as a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. I am trading in all the junk I got for the immense treasure of who Jesus is. God, I pray you do that work. Because that is really what started the journey of being unstoppable for Saul. That's really what started it all. Coming before you, Lord. Getting down before you. Coming face to face with who he is. Laying down who he is. And picking up who he is in Christ. What we have in Christ is so much greater than anything we leave behind. God, be glorified and magnified in this place by your spirit. Move in our midst. Open our hearts and minds to what you want to do in each of our lives, Lord, as we lay this time before you in Jesus' name. Amen.